everyone and welcome to another episode of the Journey Podcast Season 2. My name's Sarah and for those of you who don't know us, we're a platform that's dedicated to bringing the latest science, evidence-based research and expert thinkers all to make the journey from conception through to pregnancy and early years as healthy as possible. We all know that there are an enormous amount of modern day challenges facing us and we want to use this latest science and innovation and help make that journey as healthy, practical and positive as possible. On today's Ask the Expert special, we're going to be chatting with Monica Friedman. Monica herself faced a shock diagnosis aged just 29 years old of low ovarian reserve and that was particularly surprising considering she lived such a healthy lifestyle. Monica battled through this plus multiple rounds of IVF and other assorted challenges and now is mum to two little girls. She decided in light of her battles to give up her high-end corporate career and become a fertility coach and she now specialises in providing emotional lifestyle and practical support for those going through their own TTC battles. So without further ado, we're going to be chatting about her experience, what she learnt and the things she tells her clients who are perhaps having a difficult time trying to conceive. Hey Monica, thank you so much for joining us. Hi Sarah, thank you so much for having me. So why don't we start off with you telling us a little bit about yourself and how you got to be doing what you're doing. Sure. So my name is Monica. I am a fertility coach and that is mainly helping women who are trying to conceive, who haven't been able to get pregnant after six months or a year, have some sort of diagnosis, um, medical diagnosis that prevents them from either conceiving naturally or that just makes it really hard. Um, and I got to this due to my own very long fertility journey. So when I was 29 years old, I was back in London at the time and I thought, oh, that's great. You know, I'm ahead of the curve. I'm young. I, I, I love a very healthy lifestyle. I just want to start a family and, you know, it didn't work and I didn't even have my period. So I started going to all these GPs and all those fertility doctors and very quickly I got a very shocking diagnosis that I had the egg reserve of a 44-year-old at the age of 29. So basically, low egg reserve, low AMH, high FSH, and I can get into that a bit more later. Um, but basically, I I wasn't even ovulating. I didn't have my period. I had low egg reserve. Um, later, I found out I had high natural killer cells. And that just came as a huge shock to me because... I have to admit, I'm a type A personality. Everything else has worked well for me in life. You know, if you work hard, then things will work out for you uh, career-wise and, you know, lifestyle-wise. But fertility didn't get the memo. And um, I was just shocked to the bone. And that's when I really started on my journey. I started doing so much research, um, went down a few rabbit holes. Um, I was, to be honest, an emotional mess. My relationships suffered, my work suffered, my health suffered. Um, I developed um, an eating disorder, which is orthorexia. So I was starting to get addicted to healthy eating, thinking it would help my fertility. So it was a long journey of almost five years. And um, I went through four rounds of IVF, 12 rounds of 
ovulation induction. I had one miscarriage and I can't even tell you how many tests I did. I can't even tell you how many alternative methods I tried. Um, at some point I was talking to my dead grandma. At some point I went to Athens for egg, um, or ovary rejuvenation treatment. You know, I, I did a lot. At some point I escaped to a Buddhist retreat and didn't tell anyone about it because I just couldn't take reality anymore. So just to show you a little bit what I went through. And then I realized when I finally had my baby through IVF, she's now two years old. Um, I realized looking back, I, I really would have needed someone who could help me through this, go through this with a lot more grace, dignity, knowledge, and tools. So I realized that person didn't exist back then. I did see therapists, but oftentimes therapists are not quite versed in the fertility field. You know, you don't want to, you don't want to explain yourself to a therapist first and talk about how IVF works. Um, so I, d I decided to become that person myself. And um, so I quit my corporate job. I was in sales and marketing for almost 15 years and decided I want to dedicate my professional life to helping women get through this fertility journey so much easier. And here I am today. Wow. What an amazing story. Um, and actually one that resonates quite well with me seeing as uh, I actually did similar kinds mm -hmm. of things when I struggled with my own um, journey, quit my corporate job and decided to do this. So I, I totally hear you on that. Um, now, you obviously talked about how, you know, long the road was and how many challenges and how much you threw at it. What was it that you think finally worked for you um, in the end? Definitely a combination of Eastern and Western medicine. And I say that because that's how I set up my program that I use to help my clients now. So it's really a holistic program or let's say holistic combination of three pillars. Number one is mindset. Um, and that includes managing your stress, managing your cortisol release on a daily basis, how to calm your nervous system. Um, and also that includes believing that you are able to get there one way or the other. So that's pillar number one. Number two is lifestyle. And that is uh, basically that consists of your diet, your exercise, your exposure to environmental toxins, the supplements you take. So really taking good care of your body because you want to create a safe and, and, and healthy body for yourself first before you invite that baby. And then number three is your, I call it the fertility tactics. Um, so that could mean trying naturally, how to track your cycle, how to detect if you're really ovulating, uh, you have enough progesterone, all these things. Or if you go down the medical route, how to find a clinic that works for you, um, not to be scared to change clinics, not to be scared to ask your doctors these really difficult questions, um, trying cutting edge treatments that might be right for your condition. And I have to say, yes, my daughter came out of pillar number three, you know, the IVF worked and I changed my whole protocol. I did natural killer cell treatment, um, all of that. But at the end of the day, I know that all of these three things, so the mindset, the lifestyle, and the new treatment plan had to come together for me. 
Absolutely. It makes total sense. And it's interesting that you mentioned natural killer cell treatment, because that is something that has become more and more um, into the forefront when it comes to, you know, research around causes behind recurrent mm-hmm. miscarriage. Um, and we actually had, I don't know if you had this podcast, but we had uh, Dr. Hassan Shiata, who is a recurrent miscarriage specialist, and he's actually a specialist in the field of natural killer cells. Um how, because it's not actually necessarily the most mainstream right. treatment. How did you come to finally find that? Because it is, because usually with miscarriage, people chalk it up to, you know, it's chromosomal right. abnormality, it's thrombophilia, it's these types of things. So how did you come to get to that diagnosis, which was obviously in the end, the right thing? And how did they also treat that sure. for you? So first of all, I have to say your interview with Dr. Shehata is one of the most shared links with my clients who have recurrent miscarriages. So thank you so much for putting out that resource, just because I think Dr. Shahata is such a pioneer in that field, the way he explains it, the way he approaches it. Um, And, you know, in in the UK, we're lucky to have, we're at that time, I was lucky to have those resources. Anyway, I was with um, a different clinic and they said after at least one or two miscarriages, they will look at your natural killer cells. Um, I know that at the time, so three years ago, that was quite progressive and quite aggressive mm-hmm. as well. And um, yeah. so it was contra- controversial for sure. And it still is. Because Definitely. as you know, by now, doctors will only recommend something if it's vetted for at least 10 to 15 years through research. So those who, yeah. who will recommend something that that doesn't have a track record they put themselves out there but anyway i i went for it um we decided let's just throw everything at it and try it and i did have elevated natural killer cells and what they did is really important even before implantation so even before transfer they start with the treatment and there are two treatments right just as a refresher there's the intralipid and then there's the ivig and um, it kind of depends on, on the markers and, and how high they are. But I got the more advanced version and the more expensive one, which I have to say, the IVIG. Um, it's basically, it's an interfusion, which you get once before the transfer. Maybe they change that protocol by now. Um, and then every week or every other week until week, I think for me, it was like week 24 of my pregnancy. Yeah. Oh, wow. It was that far. Okay. Because yeah. I think, yeah, they, that's quite a long yeah. time into it, but that's obviously interesting. Yeah. That's how but for you. again, you know, if I hadn't had it, would my, would my baby have survived anyway? I think so, but you just don't know. And you don't want to take chances. For right? sure. So again, I don't know if that IVIG or that natural killer cell treatment was the missing piece in the puzzle but I don't want to look I didn't want to look back and regret anything and that's why I did it and now um I guess speaking of that you you know you say you don't know if it was one thing or another and and the reality is is you know as with most things the body's very complicated it was probably a combination did you do because obviously congratulations you're pregnant with your second baby amazing news um did you repeat the same thing um in order to get pregnant a second time or did you do anything different no and again that makes me quite emotional as I just say that and you remind me of it I got pregnant naturally this time 
Wow. Here's what happened though. My body reset after that first pregnancy. I never ovulated in my life. I didn't even know how it felt. You know, the, the cervical mucus, the, the twinge, all of that. I knew about it theoretically, but not in my own body. So I started ovulating after I stopped breastfeeding my daughter. And um, then I thought, okay, this is great. I still have low AMH. It doesn't, you know, increase with age, obviously. So I knew just because of COVID, I knew, okay, we'll go down the IVF route again. um, As soon as COVID lockdown eases up and and I thought, okay, I might as well try naturally. And it worked. And up until this point, I still can't quite believe it just because I've been through so much and I, I never really trusted my body could do this. And I'm slowly getting to the point where like my body actually is doing this. It was able to get pregnant on its own. So this is a message of hope for all of you listening to this. Sometimes we need help. Sometimes we need more than more help than others but also trust that your body is capable of wonderful things and that your body can recover um, if you treat it well and if you give it time. But again, what it, yeah. yeah, sorry, go ahead. What, it, what I just, I just think that that's such an important message actually that your body can right. recover if you give it the time and if you, um, you know, treat it well, I just think that is you know, in a nutshell, uh, I think that's so important. So um, coming back to the original point about, you know, your diagnosis Mm -hmm. and your shock diagnosis being somebody who is very healthy and who suddenly got dropped Mm -hmm. a bombshell that you have low AMH, high FSH. Um, Did you did your mother go through menopause early? Did you, ha- do you have any understanding as to why this happened to you, given the fact you were, you know, comparatively young and you were living a healthy no, lifestyle? No idea, no clue whatsoever. My mom was fine. Um, my two sisters had normal AMH levels. I have a twin sister and her AMH was normal. So I did so much research and, and the Center for Human Reproduction says that the causes for low MH can be many fold. One is age, obviously, but that didn't qualify for me. Um, anything that disrupts the feedback cycle of follicular development and AMH secretion. So these things can be autoimmune diseases, for example, thyroid conditions. These can be genetic factors. For example, there's an FMR1 gene. Um, these can be endocrine disruptors, so chemicals or high cortisol release, diet, lifestyle. So basically, I think what happened to me was just a genetic, you know, just a random genetic condition. And also, I think I wasn't treating my body the way that I was optimizing for my hormones or the pituitary gland to speak to my reproductive hormones in the right way. And what I mean by that is I think I was just putting too much stress on my body overall. Um, I had a very low BMI. I overexercised because that was my coping mechanism. I was climbing up the corporate ladder. Um, I flew around the world for business meetings. I, you know, I was just in a high stress environment. Again, I was in my late 20s, right? That's what you do sometimes at this stage of life. But 
I didn't understand and actually only understood very recently that there is a connection between your the hypothalamus part of your brain that sends really important messages of, you know, cortisol and other reproductive hormones through the pituitary gland to your reproductive organs. So I think what happened to me was that my hypothalamus was just overloaded, overwhelmed with cortisol. And that can be physical stress, emotional stress, or chemical stress within the body. Um, and because of that, the pituitary gland wasn't quite able to communicate to my ovaries. That's my own personal, um, yeah, kind of diagnosis, because I, I didn't have a period. And that's a very common um, condition. It's called hypothalamic amenorrhea, um, where your hypothalamus isn't quite connected to the rest of the body. Well, I think it's really interesting that you talk so much about the impact of chronic mm -hmm. stress in the various forms that it comes in on the body, because actually I think that when you describe your lifestyle, it will resonate with many people. And I mean, that was the right. same issue for me. I was doing exactly right. the same things as you were. And I think it's very common in our late twenties. And then you overlay things like COVID and you overlay the kind of competitive nature of the world we live in. And we're all operating under these conditions of stress. And I'm sure at the time you kind of didn't even feel stressed. You know, it's, it becomes normal, oh, yeah. right? Like to feel the way that you do. Um, and yet your body will kind of shows how abnormal it is in different ways. And obviously for you, right. and also for me, um, it, it manifests itself in the kind of issues when it comes to fertility. Now, one of the things you, you talked about earlier on when it comes to your um, protocols for helping mm -hmm. your clients is this whole mindset and managing stress, um, both physically and mentally. Now, obviously you've gone through IVF and now you've managed to get pregnant naturally. So can you give us a bit of an idea about how you live your life and how you manage stress and maybe like what a day in the life looks like for you, you know, how you cope with these kind of external factors that kind of all of us are dealing with or not, not even necessarily external, also internally, you know, your, mm -hmm. our own mindsets can, of, can often be our own enemies. So talk to us a little bit about how, you know, it works personally that for you. That is such a great question. And I have to put a huge disclaimer on this, even though I'm a mind-body practitioner, a yoga instructor, a fertility coach, that doesn't mean that I follow my own advice 100%. Do I meditate every day? No. Do I follow my, my diet every day perfectly? No. You know, there's, there's a lot of balance. There's a lot of gray zone in between. Um, because I feel, especially when you're a type A, if you do go to one extreme or the other, it can backfire. So here's my approach. Um, establishing a mindfulness or meditation um, routine is so key. And by that, I mean, it doesn't need to be sitting on a pillow with your incense and your candles on listening to some kind of, you know, themed music. This can be just simply lying in bed when you wake up in the morning and taking three deep breaths mindfully, just checking in with yourself or doing a body scan when you feel like, okay, this is, this is a trigger. This is giving me anxiety. Where do I feel it in my body? And then I say, oh, that's interesting. I feel it in my shoulders or today I feel it in my gut. And then just being mindful in that moment creates that 
pause. It creates a moment of pause. And in that pause, you're able to decide how do you want to show up as a person? How do you want your identity? Um, so how do you want to show up yeah. as a person in this situation? How do you want to react? And sometimes just that very short moment, that fraction of a moment can help you become almost a better person. I know that sounds so cliche, but these little pauses and breaths and moments in my life have given me so much compassion for myself, kindness for others. And um, again, I've become a better person through this. Obviously I've studied Buddhism um, extensively. I have done all my certifications in yoga and meditation and mind-body practices. So I have a gigantic toolbox that I do share with my clients, depending on what they need from me. You know, some have a very advanced practice when they come to me and some have never meditated in their lives. So it doesn't really matter where you start. What matters is that you know when triggers come at you and they will, you know, life is inherently stressful, how to deal with it and which tool to pick then knowing that you have something at your fingertips. I think that's more important than being perfect. It's all about progress, not perfection. Well, I think that's another major like soundbite that we should all take out, progress, not perfection. I think for many type A personalities, ironically, kind of the striving for perfection, and we think, oh, if, if you do everything perfectly, you're going to get the end result. Sometimes that De that desperation to be perfect all the time ironically means you're not going to achieve the goal and I think exactly just focusing on progress every day is is really an important thing now one other question is because it's interesting that you talk about you know just taking these moments and I sometimes find that you know I've got a toddler and a baby and I find it quite hard and you've got a toddler so so you still you know make the time to do this even though you've got a little person you're going to have another little person how do you manage to fit this all in and have um, a business okay so my business really is my passion so that gives me back so much and I think it's the same for you if I can if I just guess from from the yeah, energy absolutely. that you put out in your work so I think we both chose our careers because it 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 gives back um but I have to say, I make it a priority. And once you make it a priority, even though it's effort in the beginning, it becomes a routine. It becomes something that your body and your mind craves. It's like exercise. You don't have to do an hour five times a week or every day. What if you just did something every single day? What if you just went for a walk every single day? What if you just took 10 minutes out Um so that's what I try. Consistency is key, really. And again, with my mindfulness or let's say meditation practice, sometimes I just do journaling at night and that takes two minutes. You know, when the toddler's in bed, when my work is done, when the dishwasher is emptied, then I just sit down and write down my, write into my journal. And that can be either... Um, and excuse my French here, that could be a shit list of things that don't serve me anymore. <laughs> or that could be a gratitude list of things that I'm really grateful for. And then, then I often put it away and say, thank you, paper, for taking my thoughts 
overnight so I don't have to deal with them. And that's mindfulness right there. And then, um, sure, would I love to get in a yin yoga session every night before going to bed? Yes, but sometimes that doesn't work. So see what works for you and start small and then work your way up. Because I can tell you, once you start on that path of, let's just call it mindfulness, your mind will want more because it feels so good. Uh, absolutely. I think that's such fantastic advice. Now, obviously, that's the kind of dealing yep. with the mind side of things. Um, now, AMH, as you say, unfortunately, does not get better with age. Um, it's one of life's kind of cruelties in a way. Now, obviously, it's it's very hard to push that number up. But what are some of the things that you learned through your research um, and that you applied to your own life to kind of keep that number you know, not further declining, should we say, or in order right. to support that number? So first and foremost, let's debunk a major fertility myth. AMH is not an indicator of equality. So even though it says you're, you have a low ovarian reserve and your body needs to work so much harder to get those follicles ready, um, it doesn't mean that your, your eggs are of lower quality or that you can get pregnant naturally. So you can usually, or let's say the jury is out there that you can increase your AMH and lower your FSH because that goes in tandem. Um, there's some success that has been found with um, traditional Chinese medicine practices, herbs, acupuncture, Ayurveda, lifestyle changes, but that's all quite anecdotal. So where I found the, the most convincing research is with lifestyle changes. And again, that is really um, included in, in my program that I do with my clients. So if we break that down, it's about your diet. So how can you eat for cellular, cellular health? How can you eat so that the quality of the mitochondria, which is the powerhouse of the cells that produce the cellular energy to support the growth and maintenance and also determines if the chromosomes and the X cells will split evenly, so important. Um, how can we eat to optimize the quality of the mitochondria? And how can we eat and nurture ourselves so that we can lower the oxidative stress on the cells? So the oxidative stress on the cells is something very normal, you know, we age. so. The oxidation balance sometimes tips towards higher oxidation. But we can basically, and that's maybe a provocative statement, but we can stop or at least slow down our biological age. And how can we do that? Again, through diet. So think of a, and that's maybe a bit general, but think of a Mediterranean balanced diet. And that includes a lot of fresh, organic, pesticide-free, wholesome foods, limiting processed, sugary foods, saturated fats, because we want to lower inflammation. Um, we also want a high ratio of protein to support egg growth. Um, rule of thumb is really 20 milligrams with every meal. And lots of monounsaturated fats. So avocado, nuts, um, salmon. With salmon, just one caveat. Um, we try to say, I try to limit it to twice a month just because of the high mercury. Um, same for tuna. So smaller fish can be good too. And then 
it's really helpful to speak to a health practitioner, um, health coach like myself or a nutritionist about which supplements can boost your egg health. And we all know, you know, the, the common ones are CoQ10 or ubiquinol, which is such a powerful antioxidant, which helps us again to lower the oxidative stress on the egg cells. Um, a good prenatal vitamin that includes ideally methylfolate, just because of the, um, the MTHFR gene that we sometimes don't know of, vitamin D, vitamin E, vitamin B complexes, um, a good probiotic, fish oil, and then, you know, depending on your condition, let's say if you have PCOS, you want to include some other supplements. If you have, um, you know, low estrogen, then again, there's another range of, of supplements I would recommend. Um, so there's, there's a lot that you can do on that front. I do want to talk about one supplement that has gotten a lot of popularity over the last couple of years, which is DHEA. Um, so among women with diminished ovarian reserve, DHEA is somewhat, somewhat lauded as the, the panacea, which because it has shown to improve IVF outcomes, I just want to say, do not self-medicate with DHEA just because we need to check your androgen levels before we, we would give you DHEA. Um, and the side effects can just be really unpleasant. So, and I'm speaking of my own, you know, speaking of own um, experience. So acne, hair loss, um, you know, just weight gain. It was, it was not pretty. So before you take any of that, make sure you check in with your doctor on your, Androgen levels. Do you know what? That's such great advice because actually, um, I am a person who absolutely <laughs> should not take DHEA. So I'm really glad that you mentioned that. And again, I very, took it myself <laughs> and it was not pretty. But yeah, I, I, I wish I had known all these things before. Um, so yeah, that's the whole, let's say, diet and supplement bucket that we can look at to improve our egg health. And with that, improve our chances of conceiving because we know that AMH usually doesn't rise. It can, but not significantly enough. So we really need to focus on the quality versus the quantity. The other one is exercise. So it's all about really fighting mitochondrial damage again. And we can fight that with moderate exercise. And by moderate, I mean this is not the time to nail your marathon time or to work on your six pack. This is time for moderate three to five times a week, low impact, um, you know, add some strength training. Again, cardio and strength training combined has shown to improve the mitochondrial function of the cells. Um, add some restorative practices like yoga or walking. So really exercise does help. And then the last bucket is environmental toxins. So I know you talk about it as well a lot. So endocrine disrupting chemicals, including parabens, phthalates, BPA, all of these things in, in our environment that we can influence. And then sometimes we can't, depending on where we live, but we can influence if we drink out of a plastic versus a glass bottle. We can decide if we buy beans in cans versus in a glass. 
uh, we can decide what kind of personal um, and cleaning products we use. So there's a lot that we can do to avoid those chemicals interrupting with our reproductive hormones. And I don't know if you saw that recent study that just came out that endocrine disruptors have such a negative impact on sperm health as well. Right. I was just reading right? that report this morning. And yes. Yeah. Right. And as a, as a mother of boys, obviously that's like really important. Yeah. When I read that, I was like, wow, because um, as you say, it shows that what you do during pregnancy, if you're carrying a boy and your exposure, particularly mm-hmm. to things like phthalates, can directly right. affect their right. reproductive And we've health. seen an increased number, a number of testicular cancer as well. And we think, or let's say we think, but research thinks that that can be traced back to environmental toxins. Um, again, those toxins basically um, speed up the oxidation of the cells and can lead to mutations. So just be really mindful of these things. Um, so yeah, those three things. So again, diet supplements, exercise, and environmental toxins can really make an impact on your egg health. And that's how you can circumvent the whole AMH well, I think, issue. Well, I think that's, you know, all really excellent advice. And as you say, you can't really right. pinpoint it on one thing or another. It's all these little things combined um, over a consistent amount of time. And obviously your proof that uh, it does work. Now, just one final question for you. Can you walk us through, as somebody who's done so much research and somebody who's had a successful outcome um, twice, um, can you walk us through what an average day looks like for you? Huh. Um, I get woken up by, by my sweet daughter and we'll hang out in bed together with our dog and with my husband and we'll just you know, get the morning started with, with tea and milk and coffee. And um, then we get her ready for daycare. And yeah, it's, it's really about preparing, you know, meals and making sure the dock is walked. And then I start my work. I usually, sure. What before that, before that, what would you eat for breakfast? Because I think people are always interested in like, you know, what you do yourself for your diet, you know, for for your lifestyle, you know, what the kind of really little things that you think Um, have kind of really helped you. Pre and post or during pregnancy that has differed a bit. Um, I, my diet is very, very clean just because I found out through a nutritional or food sensitivity test that I'm quite reactive to dairy and gluten. So I try to take that out of my diet just because I don't want any inflammation in my body. And I really want to give my body a break, especially while I'm pregnant. Um, so I will have a lot of protein, eggs, bacon, oatmeal, fruit. That's the kind of thing um, I eat right now. I'll also make waffles on the weekend. You know, I love a good brunch. So it's all about balance. It's really all about balance, but I try to start the day with protein so that I get through the morning without snacking all the time, just because I'm, I'm usually inclined meetings all morning. Um, and that's where my recommendation of 20 grams of protein with every meal comes in very handy. Um, yeah. And then I start my work day again. I do always have nuts with me. I drink lots and lots of water. 
So the rule of thumb is 50 to 70% of water per body weight in ounces. Um, and then I will have one cup of coffee um, just because research has shown that, and I'm speaking to my fertility uh, women here, that one cup of coffee is fine. Um, you know, up to 300 milliliters is fine, not more than that. So that's how I get my day going. And then I'll always make sure to, to move, you know, any kind of exercise, even if it's just walking the dog or I love strength training. Um, I love skiing. I love any kind of cardio. And then we pick up our daughter and we spend time with our daughter. And yeah, during COVID, you know, the evenings are a bit quieter than usual. But um, my focus is really my work and my daughter and my personal well-being. And I'm sorry if I didn't mention my husband much here, but <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's just what I focus <laughs> on right now. Yeah. Well, I think that makes a whole lot of sense. And thank you so much for sharing um, some of these insights. And thank you're you. really living proof that, you know, it can seem against the odds, but actually with hard work and dedication and, you know, focusing your mindset on prioritizing your health and well-being, you can get wonderful outcomes. So thank you, thank you so much, Monica, and congratulations on your second pregnancy. We wish you super well on that. And we will put links um, up to your page um, and so people can get in touch if they'd like to chat to you a little bit more and see and understand a little bit more about your protocol um, and thank um, you so much and actually I soon. did want to share one freebie that I'm happy to give out um, that's my oh, ultimate yeah. mind body fertility guide so if you're struggling with anxiety overwhelming emotions you know feelings of guilt and if you just feel like you're trapped on this roller coaster of emotions during fertility journey, then go to my Instagram or Facebook page or on my website and, and download that free guide. That's a great start. Thank you. Fantastic. Well, we will link that um, up on, on the show. Sarah. So thanks again. All right, so much. All the best. And we hope to Bye. talk to you soon.